during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and God's kingdom will stand forever. Welcome to the end. Did you know that in the United States of America, in the state of Michigan, there is a place called hell? Yes, that's right. You can actually visit hell. Imagine coming from hell, living in hell, and being able to tell people, I come from hell. Or imagine marrying somebody who came from hell and saying, I married the spouse from hell. It's fun to think about, but hell, the hot topic of hell, is actually no laughing matter. Hell, as it is commonly understood, paints the most horrid picture of God. In June of 1987, the United Nations Convention Against Torture was convened and it adopted a covenant between nations. And this covenant is an extremely important agreement. Why? Not only because it protects human rights, but also because it demonstrates that humanity recognizes that torture is wrong. Torture doesn't harmonize with justice. A person who engages in torture is someone who is mentally ill at best and willfully evil at worst. And yet today, many Christians even believe that God is more inhumane than the most hardened human, a cruel tyrant even, willing to torture people forever and ever. Perhaps you've even driven past a church sign that had a a billboard that might have said something like this, how will you spend eternity, smoking or non-smoking? Or maybe something like this, turn or burn. Let me read to you a paragraph from Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon. It's entitled, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. This is what he preached in 1741. Listen to this. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over a fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear or to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. There will be no end to your horrible misery, end quote. What a horrendous picture of God. And I'll be honest, it makes me feel sick. Does God hate sinners and love to see them burn? Are humans really more humane than God? You need to know right now that this is not the teaching of the Bible. Sadly, many preachers have presented this picture of God from their pulpits and millions of people have turned away from Christianity in disgust. In fact, the misunderstanding of hellfire has created more atheists, agnostics, infidels and skeptics than any other misrepresented topic in the Bible. Perhaps you've even heard of Robert Ingersoll. He became known as the great agnostic. He was taken to a revival meeting as a little boy where he heard a preacher say that babies would be burning and tortured in hellfire forever. As a young little boy, he left that meeting, went home that night, went outside, looked up in the sky and said this, if that's what God is like, then I hate him. And Robert spent the rest of his life fighting against God and religion. What is the Bible's truth about hell? Can we see God's love in it? 
Will we ever see the end of evil or does it never end? I have good news for you right now. This version of hell that Robert heard is not the version of hell that was taught by Jesus or the version that we find in the Bible. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, God is love. That is why whenever it comes to motivating us, God doesn't go to fear. He wants us to love Him. He And He tries to awaken that love in us by love. His character is actually that of a loving Father. Listen to 1 John 4.18. The Bible says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. There is no fear in God's perfect love. The fear of hellfire will never be strong in us to keep us faithful to Jesus. Only love for Him can do that in us. And so the Bible teaches us that God who is love is also a God who is just. Really, the mercy and justice of God, they're two sides of the same coin. And I often thought when I was growing up, my parents pictured this to me. My mom always reminded me of God's mercy and love and grace. And my dad always often reminded me of God's justice. But both of them loved me. But it's two sides of the same coin. You see, in Nahum chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says this, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. God's mercy, the Bible teaches, is completely consistent with his justice. Make no mistake right now. God loves sinners, but he hates sin. Why does God hate sin? Because sin hurts his children. It's a little bit like me saying, I love happy marriages and therefore I hate adultery. God's hatred for sin is proportionate to his love for sinners. The reason why his hatred for sin is so great is because of his love for sinners being so strong. God knows that sin is flammable. It's dangerous. It's combustible. God's love and mercy therefore compels him to separate sin from sinners so that he can destroy sin from the universe without destroying the sinner. And as we near the end of time, as I read my Bible, I realize that this is what God is longing to do in your life and in mine. He does this not by forcing us to separate ourselves from sin, but by loving us. In fact, listen to what Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says. The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God seeks to draw us away from wickedness by cords of love, by his own love. In fact, the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary for us is meant to put into your heart and mind a love for Jesus and a hatred for sin. So what is hell? Well, the word hell appears 54 times in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it appears as the word sheol, which means grave, and that's 31 times. And in the New Testament, it comes from two words, Hades, which, was, which means the grave, and that's 11 times, and Gehenna, which means a place of destruction, and it's mentioned in that form 12 times. Now, the word Gehenna, by the way, just by interest, it means the Valley of Hinnom. And essentially, this referred to a garbage dump that was just outside the south of the city of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, 
children were sacrificed to the pagan god Moloch in this place, the Valley of Hinnom. You can find that in Jeremiah 32, verse 35. It was the common cesspool of Jerusalem. The dead bodies of animals and sometimes even people were thrown here where the fires would be smoldering and anything that wasn't consumed by fire, well, it was consumed by the maggots that were there. Jesus would have constantly passed by this valley in his day, which is why he uses this valley as a vivid object lesson to represent the total annihilation, the end of the wicked at the end of time. Hell, if I can say it this way, is really the ultimate, complete, final separation from God. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And the word hell he uses here is the word Gehenna. So when does hell take place? Let's see what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 13 verses 49 and 50 says this, So it will be at the end of the age, this is Jesus speaking, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. According to Jesus, the wicked are destroyed in the fire at the end of the world. Did you catch that? That's what we just read in the Bible. This means that there is no hell burning right now. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 9 also says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, I'm reading from the King James here, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. That was in the future tense. It's not present tense. Future tense. Second Peter 3 verse 7 says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. When is God's day of judgment? John chapter 5 verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. We know that when Jesus comes, there is a resurrection. But the Bible speaks of two resurrections. So where will hell take place? Let's put this all together. In Revelation chapter 21, John sees the holy city coming down from God out of heaven to earth at the end of the thousand years, which we have just studied with Lyle. As the holy city descends, the wicked are raised to live a second time to face their final judgment. It says, they, this is the wicked, went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Wow, did you catch that? The Bible says that the wicked are on the earth and it says that fire comes down from heaven, out of God from heaven, and it devours them. So when my husband devours a meal, there's just nothing left. What the Bible is trying to communicate to us here is that fire brings finality and God is actually using this as a purifying agent. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, we are told that our God is a consuming fire. The fires of hell 
are the presence of God in his holy righteousness consuming and destroying sin completely, not half-heartedly, but completely at the end. The wicked are resurrected the second time to face their final judgment. Revelation 20 verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So to put this all together, you have the first death, which the Bible speaks of, and this death is the result of sin. It's the result of living in a sinful world. When you read a newspaper, you see the obituaries. This is the first death that the Bible describes. The second death is an eternal death that is the result of personal rebellion against God. And this is what Jesus died to save us from, that eternal separation from God that penalty for sin. The second death is complete annihilation, total destruction. It's eternal separation from God, complete non-existence. Remember, death is the opposite of life. Death is the absence of life. And as I said before, God uses hellfire, not as for the purpose of punishment, but for the purpose of purifying this universe from the pandemic of sin. The Bible says in Revelation 21 verse 8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Oh, friends, our loving God has done everything he could to save the lost. But that they made a decision, an eternal choice against Jesus. He lets us choose. That's his nature because God is love and there is no force in love. God knows that those who reject him, they just wouldn't be happy in heaven because heaven would be a place of torture to them. Why? Because the things that they love would not be there. And if God is going to take them to heaven, they would rebel there. Allowing the wicked to be destroyed is merciful. Some people think, that Satan will be around stoking the fires of hell. But guess what? He is going to die the second death as well. The Bible says he will be fuel for the fire. In Revelation 20 verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And actually, hell was never intended for people. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 25 verse 45. 41 rather, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is why God, when he speaks of Satan in, in Ezekiel 28 verses 18 and 19, he speaks in the past tense. Listen to this. God says, I brought fire from your midst. He's speaking to Satan. It devoured you and I turned you to ashes upon the earth. You shall be no more forever. Satan's future destruction is as good as done. The destruction of the wicked will be done to put an end to sin, suffering, disease, and death in this universe. Revelation 21-27 again reminds us that there will, there shall by no means enter into it, that is speaking of the home of God, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
Oh, I want to have my name in the Lamb's book of life. And I can, the moment I accept Jesus as my Savior. You see, to ensure the eternal security of this universe, God must destroy sin. And I thank God that our God is able to bring an end to the pandemic of sin. What will happen to the wicked in hellfire? Listen to what the Bible says. Malachi chapter 4 verses 1 and 3. For behold, the day is coming, that's future tense, burning like an oven and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming, again, future tense, shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Verse 3, you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. When the Bible mentions ashes, it means that there is nothing left. It's not talking about the cricket. It says it means there'll be nothing left. You can't burn ashes. Psalm 37 verse 20 says this, But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. You say, Sharissa, as I'm listening to you, I don't really think you believe in hell, do you? No, I believe in a hell that is hotter than most people believe in. Because the hell I believe in, the hell that the Bible is teaching us about, it is so hot that it will consume the wicked completely. It will burn them up. Listen to Isaiah 47 verse 14. It says, Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm at, nor fire to sit before it. The fire of hell will go out. Not a fire to sit by or a coal even to warm your hands by. Obadiah 1 verse 16 talks about the wicked as though they had never been. That's how it will be. They will be completely gone. And this will break the heart of God. Why? Because Jesus, God has done everything he can to save them. The destruction of the wicked in the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, verse 21, it's called God's strange act. Listen to what it says. That he may do his work, his awesome work, and bring to pass his act, his unusual act. His nature is to build up, not to tear down. But God is just, and he is going to destroy sin and those who cling to it. When he does, he will be heartbroken over it. God will have to face an eternity without some of his kids who have rejected him and his gift of eternal life. Ezekiel 18 verse 32, God says, For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. God is not going to rejoice when the wicked are destroyed. He's going to weep. Oh, friends, make sure you understand this. The Bible is crystal clear. God will not burn the wicked throughout eternity. And he can't for, for three main reasons. Number one, hellfire will take place on this earth, the Bible says. And as we have seen from the book of Revelation, and we will see again in our next presentation, that God will create a new earth. He's going to make all things new. 
God can't make all things new if the wicked are still burning on this earth for all eternity. And besides, in Revelation 21 verse 4, it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. If there was hell on this earth, you would expect pain. You would expect crying. But Jesus says that will be no more in the earth he makes new. Secondly, hell can't burn forever because as we have seen, God is love and God is just and God is fair. The punishment of someone for eternity would not fit the crime that they had committed. Think about it. Cain killed his brother Abel in the book of Genesis. That was around 6,000 years before a man named Hitler led millions of people to death. But if when a person dies, they went straight to hell, then that would mean that Cain would be burning in hell for 6,000 years longer than Hitler for a much lesser crime. This would not be fair. And God, the Bible teaches us, is just and he is fair. Friends, if it was true that God was going to burn people forever with no rest or relief, I would be an atheist today. I could not follow or love a God like that. But I'm so happy to tell you right now that this is so far from the truth because God is not like that. Finally, the third point, why hell cannot burn forever, it's because there is just no such thing as an immortal soul. As we've already discovered in this series, as we've been journeying along, the idea of an immortal soul doesn't come from the Bible. It has its origins in paganism, and it was brought into Christianity by the by Rome. Listen to this. This is a quotation from a Methodist Congregationalist clergyman. That was a mouthful, but listen to this. His name is Amos Phelps. He said, This doctrine, He's speaking of the immortal soul, can be traced through the muddy channels of corrupted Christianity. The Protestants borrowed it from the Catholics, the Catholics from the Pharisees, the Pharisees from the pagans, and the pagans from the old serpent who preached the doctrine amid the lowly bowels of paradise to an audience all too willing to hear and heed the new fascinating, the new rather and fascinating theology, you shall not surely die. And if you start off with a faulty premise, you'll end up with a faulty conclusion. Friends, if the Bible is right, and if immortality is truly a gift that Jesus will give us when he comes, then hellfire cannot be burning forever and ever because the wicked do not have eternal life. In order to burn forever, you must live forever. And John 3.16, that beautiful verse, it says that only those who believe in Jesus have eternal life, not those who reject him. And so the contrast that the Bible makes is between eternal death and eternal life. And interestingly, there are many Christian theologians who are coming to believe the truth about hell. John Stott, a world-renowned theologian and author. He was one of the world's 100th most influential people, according to Time magazine. He now rejects the error of an eternally burning hell 
believing that the wicked are annihilated, as we have seen in the Bible. And Edward Fudge, an analytically minded lawyer and minister, he found that the Bible teaches something very different to what his church had been teaching. He published an excellent book. It's called The Fire That Consumes. And you can even watch a movie about his story called Hell and Mr. Fudge. Edward Fudge went where the evidence led him and decided to stand upon Bible truth as unpopular as it might have been. And I don't know, but perhaps you who are watching this right now, maybe you find yourself in a similar situation to Edward Fudge. During our series, perhaps you have discovered things in the Bible that you never realized were there. Maybe you were taught differently in in your growing up years. But now I want to encourage you, study God's word. And pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth and then go where Jesus leads you. Something is only worth believing if it's true. And God's word is true. Now, there are a few often misunderstood passages, and I'd like to step through just a few of them with you. In Matthew 25, verse 46, Jesus talked about everlasting punishment. Notice there is a difference between punishing and punishment. This becomes clearer for us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, where it says here, these, brackets, that's the wicked, shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Destruction by definition is the act or process of causing so much damage to something that it no longer exists and is beyond repair. It's the punishment, not the punishing that's eternal. What about the phrase forever and ever? Interestingly, 56 of the times this phrase is mentioned in the Bible, forever and ever, it is mentioned in relation to things that have already ended. They're already done. And certainly we do the same in English today. In Jonah chapter 2 and verse 6, Jonah was in the belly of the fish forever, the Bible says. But in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17, the Bible explains that the amount of time he was in the belly of the fish was three days and three nights. And so we have a simple rule that can help us clear this up. When you apply this rule to the reading of Scripture, everything makes sense. Whenever we are talking about the things of God, forever always means an unending period of time. But whenever we are talking about Satan, sin, the world and wickedness, that expression forever and ever is for a limited time, meaning as long as they are in existence. Doesn't the Bible talk about eternal hellfire or eternal fire, you ask? Yes, actually, in Jude verse 7, it says that Sodom and Gomorrah suffered the vengeance of, quote, eternal fire. But are Sodom and Gomorrah still burning today? No. Those cities were burned until they were ashes. And that's why Jude 7 tells us they are an example of eternal fire. In 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 6, the Bible says, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction. And so we see here that eternal fire does not mean eternal torment. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 29 says this, our God is a consuming fire. Fire represents the glory and presence of a holy God. The wicked are not eternal. It's the fires of God's presence that are. 
They are destroyed by the fire of God's glory, but not the righteous. No, to them the fire of God's presence is a wonderful thing. Notice with me Isaiah chapter 33 verses 14 and 15. Who among us shall dwell with with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Listen to the answer in verse 15. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, the righteous are the ones who will live in the fire of God's presence forever and ever without being consumed. You can see how Satan has twisted this all around. The Bible does not teach that hell is a place, it's an event. It will take place at the end of the thousand years on this earth. God will destroy the wicked, not because he is a vindictive and an angry God, but he is going to destroy the wicked because he is purifying the universe from the pandemic of sin and he wants to ensure its eternal security. This is the only way that he can put an end to evil in the great controversy. Friends, at the end of the thousand years, before the wicked are destroyed, I imagine that with tears, God is going to weep and he's going to speak to his children and he will say, I wanted to draw you to myself. I wanted to embrace you. I love you. I had such wonderful plans for your life, but you rejected me. You closed your heart to me. And as the wicked examine the record of their lives and they will see that God has been faithful to them, they will say, Lord, you did do everything. I am not lost because of something you have not done for me. I am lost because of me. I have rejected you. And as the fire devours them, God himself will weep. In Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 9, the Bible says, For love is as strong as death. Its flames are a flame of fire, a most vehement flame. The destruction of the wicked is God's last manifestation of love toward the lost. It's almost as if God gives them a final embrace and they just can't handle his presence. Nahum 1 verse 9 says, Affliction will not rise up a second time. God promises that sin will never again rear its ugly head. That's why in 2 Peter 3 verse 13, the Bible says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What a sigh of relief. The universe will be able to breathe when sin is gone for good. And as crazy as it might sound, in a sense, hellfire is something we should look forward to because it will spell the end of evil, the end of sin, the end of death, the end of pain, the end of sorrow and suffering. Evil will not go on without an end. God will bring it to an end. Never again will Satan be able to tempt and try and discourage you because he himself will be gone forever. And this is the good news truth about hell. To summarize what we have learned, hell is not burning now because the Bible teaches that the dead are sleeping in their graves. Point number two, no one will burn eternally because God's punishment is just and fair. Point number three, the primary purpose 
of hell is not to punish the wicked, but to purify the universe. Point number four, hell was never made for you. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. And point number five, we don't have to experience hell because Jesus has already experienced it for us. What do I mean? Friends, on the cross of Calvary, Jesus experienced the pain of hell for us. On the cross, he bore my guilt and my shame. In fact, he bore the guilt and shame and sin of the whole world. And it resulted in complete separation from God. This is why Jesus prayed while he was dying on Calvary's cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered the pain and separation of the second death. Why? So that we would never have to experience it ourselves. Jesus experienced hell for you because he could not imagine eternity without you. His arms right now are open to you. We have two choices that we can make. We can choose Jesus and have eternal life with him, or we can choose to reject Jesus and experience eternal death without him. Don't throw away an eternity with Jesus. I long for an eternal redemption in Jesus. I long to be with him and to dwell in the fire of his presence forever, in the fire of the presence of a holy and wonderful and loving God. I want to serve him forever. And right now, I want to invite you to do the same, to accept Jesus into your life so that you can have the assurance of an eternity with him. The God with no beginning right now offers to you a life with no end. Won't you choose Him? This is the very best decision you can make. You've been listening to The End. For more information about this program or any of this show's free offers, visit www.theend.digital.